Good morning. Please open your Bibles with me to John chapter 15. Uh, we're in John 15, 1 this morning. Uh, we've been in a series for several weeks now uh, called DMs or uh, direct messages, looking at uh, the interactions that Jesus had with those uh, who were closest to, ha- to him, the, the people whose hearts he spoke into, the, those who had centered uh, their lives around him. And as we finish this series over the next couple of weeks, uh, we are going to see Jesus' messages becoming uh, intensely personal. I mean, all of these messages, to some extent, have been personal already, as Jesus calls people to trust him or follow him uh, or whatever, all the messages that we've looked at. But in particular this morning, uh, in John chapter 15, Jesus is nearing the end of his time with his disciples during his ministry. Uh, As he speaks the words that we read today, Uh, He is less than 24 hours before he will be arrested and tried and beaten and ultimately crucified. And so the stakes are high for those whom uh, Jesus leaves behind to do his work, to proclaim his kingdom. And so this will be, Jesus knows, a dangerous time to be one of his followers. This will be the time where Jesus is speaking into these uh, lives of those who will soon face danger on his behalf. And so I kind of found, as Jesus speaks these words, reflecting on them, uh, the same way I do a lot of times as a father. You know, these words as, uh, that were spoken and are not unique to me as a parent, but when your child's in a potentially dangerous situation, maybe it'd be a crowded shopping center or uh, crossing the street or walking through a parking lot, and you say things like, you know, hold my hand, don't go far, stay where I can see you or stay by me. When I was a kid, I didn't really listen to these words very well, and so my parents got one of those like kid leashes and, and marched me around that way. Uh, But Jesus doesn't give his followers a leash, but rather a call, rather a challenge, as he ushers words that convey these same kind of messages to his disciples. As things are about to get dangerous for them, or when we in our own lives face difficulties as his followers, Jesus speaks the message, remain in me. Remain in me. As Jesus says this, he doesn't really uh, begin with this DM directly, but uh, has to back up a little bit to give them the message of why it's important to stick with him, to abide in him, to stay with him. In fact, he kind of begins this message with really uh, a kind of odd metaphor. He says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. You think that's a really weird comparison to make? Uh, but throughout the book of John, we see Jesus making these kind of I am statements. Uh, I am being the name that God gave to Moses back in Exodus uh, when Moses said, Whom shall I say sent me? And God said, I am. And so as Jesus says these I am statements, he's making calls and claims to his divinity. And he's revealing to his followers and to the people that he speaks to just what he came to do, just what God in the flesh has come to do. And so as he says this this statement, I am the true vine, uh, this would Im- immediately have evoked certain implications or certain responses into the minds of his disciples. Uh, it would be like someone coming into our context and saying, I am the true eagle, or I am the true red, white, and blue. You know, vines and vineyards were signs of national identity for Israel. Their coins were stamped with Uh, vines on them. When rebuilding the temple, Herod the Great installed large vines of gold over the entrance to the holy place. I mean, still today, if you were to visit Israel in the right season, you would see vineyards dotted all along the hillsides. But this message that would have invited national pride for Israel would have also reminded them of certain spiritual rebukes in their history. 
Israel is compared to a vineyard uh, several times throughout the Old Testament, but they never end up on the good end of that comparison. Isaiah chapter 5 is the most prominent one, and Isaiah in this passage speaks to Israel and, and rebukes them uh, because he speaks of the care that God had put into them. And the, the care and the, the preparation and all the provision he had given them only to find their fruitlessness. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1, you don't have to look it up, you can just uh, listen as I read it. He says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. Isaiah says, my loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Verse 5 says, Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. God says, you know, I've taken Israel, this, this vine, and I, I, I removed it from Egypt. I removed it from slavery and bondage, and I planted them in fertile and well-cultivated ground and, and soil. And this field that I had prepared and removed all the obstacles that would prevent growth. When it came time for bearing fruit, this faithfulness, this obedience to God, he found only injustice and unrighteousness and unfaithfulness and bloodshed and a lack of mercy. And so with this background in mind, Jesus says, all this in the past, all these shortcomings now, but I am the true vine. Jesus saying, is, here, is saying here, I am now what Israel was never able to be. I am, I am being what you were ever, never able to be. I, I am doing what you were never able to do. I am fruitful in ways that you were never able to accomplish, ways that please God. But this isn't just a statement that he's making about Israel. I think it's a statement that Jesus is making for all of us. I mean, you don't have to have me tell you that often we as Christians fall short of where we want to be. And we don't always have the fruitfulness, the, the products of our faith that we want to have. And while we might be further along than where we started when we began walking with Jesus, we know that we're not ultimately where we want to be in the end. And so in our unfaithfulness, Jesus speaks these words and he says, I am the true vine. I am faithful where you have been faithless. I am perfect where you have fallen short. I, I have been what you have never been able to be. But of course, we know the good news of the gospel is that Jesus says, you might not have what it takes, but you can have what is mine as your own. You can have my faithfulness and you can have my perfection. You can have my righteousness as your track record if you remain in me. If you connect yourself to me, if you invest your life in me, you can have my perfection. You can have my true vine status as your own. And so Jesus says in chapter 15, verse 1 of John, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are, already, you are already clean or pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus kind of gives us uh, this image that if you're a gardener, you can easily track with. He's speaking of this vineyard, this uh, garden in our context, that every good gardener knows in order to uh, have the garden produce the fruit that you want it to, in order to get the peppers and the tomatoes and the onions and all the things you need for salsa, you have to take care of the garden. And so in this context, in the winter, the gardener would have come into the vineyard after this growing season, and he would cut off all of the dry and dead and withered branches, even maybe cutting it back all the way to the main stalk of the vine itself. And later in the season, as the vine would begin to sprout leaves, he would snip out all of the little branches, the ones that wouldn't grow fruit, or the old wooden, woody branches that wouldn't deliver fruit any longer, so as not to sap the rest of the plant for more nutrients. Grapes would only grow on new branches, and so these excess branches were cut off so that the vine could spend its strength on growing fruit rather than growing useless wood. If you grow tomatoes, you're probably familiar with this process, and uh, you might know what a sucker is. The, these little branches that sprout up between the main plant and the branches that will bear the tomatoes, these suckers will not bear fruit. They'll only take the energy of the plant away from growing their fruit, and so you pull them off. And the thing about these off-cuttings, though, these dead and unfruitful branches, is that they're worthless for anything, though, other than stock, stoking the fire. I mean, they're not good, hardy wood. I've never pruned my rose bush out in front of my house and thought, wow, I could really make a fine table out of this. You, know, you, can't, you can't mill rosewood. You just throw it on the pile and wait for the next fire in the backyard. And like a good gardener, God has the health of the overall plant in mind. And he cares too much about the fruitfulness that results in the health of his church to allow the dead wood to continue to sap nutrients from the vine. And in this, Jesus has a difficult word for us. He says, unfruitful Christians, those who might look good on the outside, like good strong branches, but aren't showing his work in their lives, will be cut off from his sustaining presence and power. But there is an alternative, and that's the challenge that Jesus gives us, because Jesus says the alternative to being cut off is to remain in me. And as we remain in him, he promises us that we can expect three things. First, he says that we can expect more pruning. Verse 2 says he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that will be even more fruitful. And I know this message of pruning is probably not the first promise that we want to hear because it doesn't seem like a very fun promise to have. You know, if you stick with Jesus, you're going to get cut up a little bit. That doesn't really fill the chairs or fill the pews. But even we must recognize that pruning is good for us in the end, even if it means that it will hurt us a little bit in the process. I remember in high school, uh, one of my biology teachers told me about this experiment that is still fascinating me to this day, uh, of them setting up certain tools and instruments in place that when a little boy came and pulled on branches of this plant, the plant actually responded. 
And I looked up this a little bit, looked this up a little bit this week to see more of a scientific reason behind this. And it says that researchers would put this uh, laser-powered microphone uh, up to this plant, and it would pick up sound waves produced by plants releasing gas when cut or injured, it's, which is kind of like the equivalent of a plant crying out in pain. And re- in fact, researchers just at the University of Missouri discovered that plants can understand and hear, in a sense, when animals are chewing on them. They put caterpillars on these plants, and the plants responded to the chewing noises of these caterpillars. And so I say this to say that, you know, next time you're mowing the yard, what you think is just cutting the grass is really a mass genocide uh, of your vegetation. Or when you're eating your salad for lunch today, your your lettuce is crying out in silent agony and horror. Now, I really say this to say that even for plants, pruning is hard. It's hard for God to to cut away things from our lives in order to grow our faith. And the truth is that often when we're experiencing difficult difficult times, maybe you're experiencing a difficult time right now, or we're fighting through the changes in our lives that maybe we just don't understand why God is putting us through those paces. The temptation is to think that God is is punishing us, or or God is, is getting his retribution for us doing something wrong. Maybe we don't have enough faith, and so God is making clear that we have to have more faith. But what God says is, what Jesus says is that he prunes those plants that already bear fruit. These aren't the dead branches that he's pruning. These are the fruits that are doing what they're, these, these are the branches that are doing what they're supposed to do. But yet he prunes them so they can be even more fruitful. God isn't punishing your lack of faith, but rather using your life circumstances to grow your trust in Him. Pruning allows us to take stock of our lives and say, you know, I may not be where I want to be in my faith. I I, I certainly have room when it comes to trusting God, but I'm not where I used to be either. And we can't get where we want to be without God shaping us and pruning us through the difficulties of life. I think we often have the temptation to think that when we come to Christ that our life will be perfect and that everything will fall into place and that our difficulties will be gone. But a life in Jesus was never promised to be an easy life. Without pressure, carbon never becomes a diamond. And without pruning, our faith will ultimately end up feeble and fruitless. And so the promise of pruning is one that is ultimately so that we can grow in our depth and knowledge of Jesus and grow in the results and the fruit that we show for Him. This is exactly the promise that Jesus gives us second, that we can expect, after pruning, we can expect more fruitfulness. Verse 4 again says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus gives us the, the goal, the purpose behind this pruning. It's not that God like, gets his kicks by, by making things difficult for us. But rather the goal is that we would see more fruit, that we would see greater results in our faith. Going back to kind of my rose bush illustration, you know, every season I go out and I, I prune this rose bush basically almost down to its base. And you cut out all of the dead wood and the, the wood that maybe grew roses last season but isn't going to this season. And you trim off the tiny branches, the ones that aren't going to really produce anything but just sap the nutrients of the plant. And you cut out the crisscrossing branches that will rub together and open the plant up to disease and decay and 
and prune everything to where the base of the plant is really open and airy. And then at the time you're all done, you have this plant that just looks absolutely horrible. <laughs> you have this bush that you look at it and you think, how can this little thing, I, you know, this is a real hack job I've got here, how can this scrawny little bush produce anything worthwhile? You know, become spring, a rose bush that is pruned white will, right will grow more buds and blossoms than the one that grew free and wild. Jesus says, if you remain in me and allow God's pruning and allow his refining work to grow your faith, you will ultimately be healthier and stronger for it. Of course, the results that God's uh, pruning work, refining work in our lives produces aren't grapes and roses, but rather fruits, fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, Paul tells us the kind of fruit that we will grow if we remain in Jesus. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. He says as we remain in Jesus, as we grow stronger in Jesus, as we allow God to use the difficult circumstances of our life to grow our faith, we we see that ultimately we become more loving and we become joyful and we have a peace about life and and we're patient with others and we're kinder and we treat others better and we're more faithful more gentle we don't give in to every whim and passion but i think the temptation when it comes to these fruit of the spirit is to look at this and and to kind of try to manufacture these fruits on our own you know we say i want to be you know more loving and so I, i need to to love people better i need to try harder or I want to be more joyful, and so I just you know, throw on a cheery smile, and I, and I can have peace if I just ignore the difficulties of life, and on and on the list goes. But the problem with this is that these aren't fruits of the Spirit, but fruit of the Spirit. They all go together. They all result of a life that is connected with Jesus. Starting with the fruits and trying to work our way backwards, of starting with love and trying to say this is evidence of the, this is what produces the spirit in my life, rather than the evidence of the spirit in my life, is like going to the store and buying a bag of grapes and hanging it on a vine and saying, "Look how healthy my plant is." It's counterfeit, and it's counterproductive. You see, when we start with a life in Jesus, when we start with being connected with Him, remaining in Him, not with the behaviors. We see that in Him we experience real and true and lasting life change, not just the shallow attempts at moral self-improvement. And so if you're struggling with love, the answer isn't to just try to be nicer to people, but to remain in Jesus so that He can show you what true love looks like. Or if you're struggling with joy, the answer is not to just throw on a fake smile through all of life's circumstances, but to remain in Jesus so He can show us a contentment that goes beyond our circumstances. And the list continues whether you're struggling with patience or gentleness or kindness or faithfulness or any of these, this fruit that the Spirit produces. The answer is not to try to work on the fruit, but to remain in Jesus, to be connected with His Spirit so that He can produce the fruit within us. Jesus focuses on one of these particular aspects of this fruit with this last promise, that we can expect more love. As we've studied these direct messages so far, we focused on really these intimate and personal moments that Jesus had with those who were closest to him. But I think this that he gives us this morning is maybe the most personal, intensely personal. 
And it wasn't just spoken for the 12 that surrounded him, but for us today. So as I read this, I want you, as you hear you, to think of you and not them. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last is that whatever you ask in my name, my father, in the name, in my name, the father, in my name, the father will give you. Sorry, this is my command: love each other. You see, just as Jesus, as the vine, is is the source of all of our fruitfulness, he's the source also of our love, and it's this love that, as we remain in him, becomes a distinguishing mark of our presence in him. But I think we have to be cautious here because the temptation, if we're not careful, is to read something very wrong into these words that he has spoken, to make a very wrong conclusion about his love. Jesus says in verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. And what that sounds like at first is it sounds like Jesus is saying, if you obey me, then I will love you. But nothing could be further from the truth of the gospel. The heart of the good news is that Jesus died for us, that he took upon what should have been our penalty and our punishment and took it to the cross even when we were still sinners, even when we were still unlovely and undeserving of love. But when we understand that remaining in Jesus is not about him saying, yeah, you're, you're mine, but rather being rooted in him, being rooted in him firmly as our source. Jesus isn't saying, if you love me, I will claim you. But rather, if you love me, you will become greater, great, more greatly rooted in me. He's not saying, do what I say and I will love you, but rather, when you do what I say, you root, you root yourself further into me. It's just as we abide, as we remain, as we root ourselves in Jesus through prayer and through studying his word, when we obey his word, we further ground ourselves in him and in his power. Kind of think of it this way, uh, like a marriage. I don't, as a husband, do nice things for Kelsey, you know, get her gifts or write her a card or, or clean the house so that she will love me. You know, the love is already there. It's concre- concreted by this covenant of marriage that we've entered into. But rather, I do those things because of my love for her and to help our love to grow and be cultivated. As we root ourselves further in Jesus' love, that love becomes evident in the ways that we interact with others. Again, from our communion meditation, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus says love is best evidence, love is best shown by the sacrifices that we make for each other. And I think sometimes it's easy to kind of get a free pass when it comes to this statement. You know, yeah, I would, I would totally die for you, man. I am right there because I probably will never have to. But laying down your life isn't just about death but about putting someone else before yourself in every aspect of life. 
I heard it said this way this week, that living for others is sometimes harder than dying for them. Sacrificing our time or our energy or our contentment or our resources so that others can know the love of Jesus in a greater way is sometimes harder than saying, yeah, should the time ever come, I probably maybe could, well, probably if, if the, yeah, I'd take a bullet for you, man, for sure. But in the off chance that happens, you know, you probably, I got your back. I don't have it now, but if the time ever comes, I would totally die for you. I'm there. So we see these expectations. We see these blessings that come from remaining in Jesus. And this promise that God will prune us and use the difficult circumstances of life to grow us. And these promise that, that by pruning us, we would be able to bear more evidence of his fruit and of his love in our lives. And that by manifesting that love, we live sacrificially for others in a way that is empowered by Him. And all of these things are available to us if we remain in Jesus, but the question remains, how can we remain? And we could go the simple route and say, you know, read your Bible and pray, and all those things are good and true, but I hope that we're already doing those things. And so when it comes to truly remaining in Jesus, what does that look like? As I thought about this question and reflected on it this week, uh, how can we remain in Jesus, I was drawn back uh, to what we studied in our small group uh, on Tuesday night. We've been going through a series in Philippians uh, with Matt Chandler. He's a preacher at the Village Church. Uh, And this passage was, in particular on Tuesday, was what it looks like to truly live in Christ. And he asked a question I think really ties into this question of how can we remain in Jesus. And the question he asks is, what stirs your affections for Jesus? What, what things do you have in place that really f- make you feel connected with Jesus? What practices have you adopted that allow you to see his presence and his power in your life? He said for him that one of those things that stirs his affection for Jesus is waking up at 5.30 in the morning when it's only him and his house and his house is quiet and having a cup of coffee. And I thought, that sounds like the worst thing ever. You know, that is not the way that I am stirred in my affections for Jesus. And so it's different for all of us. The things that stir my affection are not the things that stir your affection. If I'm up at 5.30 in the morning, the last thing I'm feeling is stirred. But for me, you know, being around my preacher friends every year, and going on their sermon planning retreat that I go on and, and hearing about their ministries and the joys and the trials and the hardships and the, the, the things that they've been able to accomplish and experience through God's power, that, that stirs my affection for Jesus. Or those nights where it's really dark and uh, you, you find yourself where the sky is not eclipsed by city lights and you look up and you see the greatness of the galaxy in the night sky, that stirs my affection for Jesus. Seeing someone baptized, and come to begin life in Jesus for the first time, I will tear up every single time on that front row because that stirs my affection for Jesus. Writing sermons while I listen to worship music, that stirs my affections. Hearing Chandler talk about what he learned in Sunday school or recite the verses he's memorized, that stirs my affection for Jesus. And so I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it is waking up early and, and having a quiet time and coffee. It's okay, we still love you and Jesus still loves you. That's fine. If that stirs your affection, that's great. Maybe it's, maybe it's being outside and seeing Jesus in his creation. Maybe it's seeing a, a newborn baby or reading the classics, those who had gone before you in the faith and have great reflections on the nature of God. I don't know what it is, but I want to challenge you this week 
to look for those moments, to find those things that stir your affections for Jesus. To look for those areas, those practices, those habits, those things you put in place where you feel close to your Creator. These things that say, Jesus, these are the things that help me remain in you, to be rooted in you, to experience your pruning, to experience the fruitfulness that only you can bring, and to experience this love that you have for me that I can show to others. I want, to experience, I want you to challenge you to experience and, and search out those things because ultimately you come back to what Jesus says about himself, that as the true vine, Jesus does for us what we could never do for ourselves. That in his life and in his death and in his resurrection, Jesus does what we could never do. That so often you know, we are trying to produce these things in our own lives and, and we go to the store and we buy the fruit and we hang out on the vine and say, look how good my life is going. And reality is counterfeit. And it's weak and feeble and it won't last. And Jesus says, enough of that. I am the true vine. During this time of invitation, I can think of no better invitation than to say, Jesus does for you what you could never do for yourself. And so quit trying to do it for yourself. Maybe this time you need prayer or encouragement. I'll be up front. Our response team is going to come forward. So our elders will be in the back. And maybe you just need to say, hey, I, I've been disconnected. I feel disconnected from the vine, and, and I don't, I don't want to be cut off and, and thrown away and discarded. I want to be fruitful for Jesus. Maybe ask them to pray for you in that way. Maybe it's a matter of saying, hey, I've been trying to do this on my own for way too long, and I've had the counterfeit fruit, and it's hanging on the vine, and everybody thinks it looks great. But truly, there's nothing there, and there's no fruit in my life. I want to be connected with Jesus so that others can see His power in me. Whatever the case, during this invitation, I want you to remember Jesus' words that apart from Him, we can do nothing. That it's only by being connected in Him and Him doing what He could do that we could never do for ourselves. That we can experience life's difficulties with joy and contentment. And use that pruning to grow stronger and more fruitful in Him. And to show a love that he has for us that is sacrificial so others might come to know him in a greater way. Would you please pray with me? God, we come before you this morning thankful for these glimpses that we have. These moments where Jesus was able just to sit down with his disciples, those who were closest to him, those who had, like us, centered our lives, their lives around him. And see the, the truth that he speaks into them. The encouragement and the challenges and the words that he gives them. That sustain them as they remain in him. And God, I pray that as we see these words this morning. This challenge to remain in you. You would call us to discover and challenge us to discover those things that stir our affection for you. To cast away those things that rid us of our affection. And find truly the habits or the things that we put in place to see you in a greater way. God, I pray that this week we would be pruned and that we would see the difficulties in life as things that you use to grow our faith and to become more fruitful. And in so doing, we can show your love to the world around us, a love that is sacrificial and that lays down not just life, but everything for the pursuit of others knowing you and the love that you have for them. 
pray this in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.